0: Hey, hello everybody, welcome back for another episode of Out of Bounce. As always, I'm your host, Spencer Brown. And joining me we have Dalton Bishop.
1: Hey, Spence.
0: How's it going? It's going great. And we also have Christian Ernst. What is up, y'all? It's got a jam-packed episode in front of us. We have some news regarding the NBA. You know, it's Thursday, normal recording day that we've been doing for the past uh few months or so. You know, NBA is back in action. We have a few NBA news stories. Baseball, they're still on lockout. Dalton has some good racing information to tie on. And then, of course, we'll end it with some combine preview because the combine is going to be in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. So we'll begin with the state of New York. There's two NBA news stories, both coming out of New York. The first being that the New York Knicks have agreed to sit Kimball for the rest of the season. It's a little bit disappointing to see Kimball Walker like this Unfortunately, you know, it out to a degree. His injuries have um you know kind of caught up with him. He's only thirty-one years old. Uh, we saw what happened last year. He was in Boston last year. Season didn't really go as planned. It was a little bit of a downside. He gets traded away actually bought out by OKC and goes to his hometown, New York Knicks, where he's like, Oh, he would be the hometown hero because he's from you know, the Bronx up in there. And, you know, he's he's on knee problems for a few years now. It sucks. And, unfortunately, he's not going to play the Knicks. They're going to – I don't know why they're not buying him out right now, letting him go join a team and still play here. Uh, It's probably some internal things. Maybe Walker's not fully healthy and couldn't contribute on another team right now, and that's why New York's choosing to – Go this way. Maybe they'll realize his value is going to be a lot higher, and they want to acquire something for him in a trade this summer. What we'll do we wait and see on that approach? But if you look at his stats, it's clearly his uh his worst year of his career. He's only playing uh only uh eleven point six points per game. is career low there. Uh, assist is the bottom of his career. Um. It's just it's been a rough year. hasn't really acclimated it to the Knicks team. The Knicks also in a very bad situation. They're not as good. They're not that team last year where they came out of nowhere to make the playoffs. Um, had a good first round series. It's okay. It, I, I can't say it enough. It's disappointing to see Kimba because he's such a likable guy and everything. And hasn't really had that playoff success because of way well, that one year in Boston in the bubble. He hasn't gotten a chance to you know enjoy. A Good playoff run because injuries and whatnot. So let's go Christian first here. Just your thoughts on the New York Knicks and uh, they're designed to bench Kimball Walk the rest of the year. Um, it sucks for New York.
2: Um, you know, a lot of people, including I think ourselves, were thinking that New York was going to be uh, kind of an upgrade team. You know, they're going to be you know, kind of competing in these, probably not win at all. You know, they don't have a star. Uh, level player, like, you know, LeBron, Giannis, and etc. But we all thought, okay, they're a good team. They're like a B team. Let's – like their goal is to, let's say, make the second round. You know, I think that was a lot of people's goals in mind. If you were thinking uh, NBA championship, I'm sorry. Uh, kind of delusional with the East. But um, still, so we thought they were going to be a good team, and they've been – just not consistent. Julius Randle has done his best, I would say, trying to make this team competitive and try and get to the play-in. It doesn't really look it right now. Um, so, I mean, for Kemba, it sucks because he's had a history of knee injuries. Um, you know, like you said, Spencer, when he was in Charlotte, when he was in Boston, your favorite team for a little while, and then obviously here with New York. Um, it's just not a good – Feeling when you're a guy like him, he's a very likable player. Um, I think most fans and most players like him. He, he's not drama related. Uh, he, you know, he's had a great college career when he was. At- a lot of people have really loved the underdog mentality of him. Um, it does suck that he has to sit after the remainder of the season, but at the same time, we'll see what he does, and um, he could possibly trying to revive his career, maybe with New York next year, maybe somewhere else. We'll just see. But uh, prayers up to him uh, and New York for real uh, with the remainder of the
0: season. Yeah. Dolan, your thoughts on Kimba Walker and him not playing this year with the New York Knicks? Uh, It's
1: pretty unfortunate. Uh, I thought that Kimba was – one of the better players on the Knicks team, uh, when healthy, um, they just gotta just gotta move on, then, um, and you know, see what happens with with uh, Kemba and uh, Knicks organization as a whole.
0: All right. Also, sticking with New York. Just the other day, Mayor Eric Adams from uh, New York has announced that New York's vaccine requirement will be lifted. I believe I recall it was March 1st, relatively soon. They will lift the vaccine requirement, which is, again, we don't talk more local news, especially in New York, but it does affect affect sports with Kyrie Irving because he has has been publicly documented. He's unvaccinated, has not been able to play home games this year for the Brooklyn Nets. Bet when the vaccine requirement gets lifted. Uh, again, I think it's March 1st. Someone can look it up and correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but River is going to be a full-time participant with New York. And it's going to be big news for a Brooklyn Nets team that, you know, currently they're losing big to Boston right now. I just said it because I'm a Celtics fan and I get that jab in there. But Brooklyn, you're, you're seeing eighth place right now in the Eastern Conference. And you need to get, again, you're, you're getting Ben Simmons back sometime soon, you think. I say back when he played there previously. But you're getting Ben Simmons on the team. Kevin Durant should be back soon. And if you get Kyrie Irving at home, it's the same thing as last year. You get three guys who barely play together. How far can that team truly go in the playoffs? We'll have to wait and see on that approach there. Big Kyrie coming back to Brooklyn. He's a, he's a, he's a great player. That is a, a fact that's indisputable there. And he has a chance to, you know, take Brooklyn... And get them out of that play-in. Because they just need to avoid going. Because Toronto, as far as I know, they still have the vaccine requirements. So if it's season today, it'd be Brooklyn at Toronto in that 7-8 game. And Kyrie could not play that game. So as long as you can avoid going to Toronto in that scenario. Hell, if you make the top six just to avoid that play-in situation. That is a goal for Brooklyn, I think, at this point. It's a huge impact for the team. Again, we saw how last year it was disappointing but also, you know, Kevin Durant's foot was on the line, and that effectively ended their season there. So wait and see, but for Brooklyn, if you're a Nets fan, you have to be happy that this drama of will he, won't he play, how many games are you going to play, would he miss playoff games? Well, we got our answer. You more likely will not miss any playoff games, which if you're a Nets fan and you have that goal winning a championship like you set out last year, definitely beneficial. The East is wide open. It's so close that it would not shock me if Brooklyn is held at eight seed and they make a playoff and make a championship run. It just is so close this year. I'll go Dalton next here. Your thoughts on Kyrie potentially being able to play um, full-time with the Brooklyn Nets?
1: Cool. It's pretty cool, I guess. Um, you know, this his decision whether to get vaccinated or not. And um, now that New York's going to lift the mandates, uh, Brooklyn will be – be in the uh, the swing of things and be able to uh, try to actually their starting point guard now, so um especially at home games when when you think that you know maybe brooklyn could could have a could have a home field advantage uh, going into the playoffs. so i think I think that's good for for Brooklyn and you know um, really, um, yeah. I think I think it's good for the NBA as a whole.
0: All right, Christian, your thoughts with the news that Kyrie Irving is going to be playing home games this year for the Brooklyn Nets. Um,
2: this is absolutely huge for Brooklyn. Um, that was the one concern I I would say going in uh, into the second stretch of the season, and I really even started February because obviously you know this news of. Uh, the vaccine mandate being lifted in the state of New York slash New Jersey um, is being lifted. You know, we then think that in beginning of February, and you see a lot of states doing that now. Uh, and it's big for the uh, Nets. I almost said the Celtics. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> um, but it's big for uh, I almost said Boston. Shoot. Brooklyn. I think
0: I see bars for a second. That's I, know. If, I, I just big can't think for like, bars. I'm
2: thinking about Boston. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little loopy right now. But anyway, (laughs) um, it's big for Brooklyn because, you know, you finally get more of a chemistry with Ben Simmons if he ever plays, KD when he comes back, and now Kyrie can play uh, in pivotal games. Now Brooklyn has a really good possibility of going, I would say, decently far in the East. Um, I would say Ben needs to get on the court. Uh, if he can at, at the very least, like, mid-March. Because if you don't – I mean, if you don't get on the court till you know, May playoff time, I mean, I don't think Brooklyn's going to do anything. So, Ben, you know, you got to – like, you got – like, I hate to say suck it up because, you know, I'm a big uh, mental health advocate. Um, I take that stuff personal. But at the exact same time, um, you wanted out of Philly – You wanted, you know, to have a fresh start. This is your fresh start. You, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, y'all want to win a championship without help, quote-unquote. So you got to do your very best to get back on the court and uh, give the chemistry with these guys. So if that happens soon, I think Brooklyn is an absolute dog in this. Um, I love my Miami Heat and I love Chicago, and I think (laughs) Chicago's a really good team this year. But they're one and two. I don't really have this uh, strong <laughs> confidence that they can both uh, be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. I think Philly is still good. I think Milwaukee's very good. Boston could scare people. Uh, Brooklyn at full health, uh, even with Harden. Like, it was just Brooklyn's the best team. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting now that Kyrie's back to play home games. So, we'll see how it goes. Uh, if they get out
0: of the play in and see who they play in the first round, yeah, awesome. I mean, I don't know if you mentioned, did you see Philly? Because Philly's getting James Harden this weekend. I saw that he'll make his debut Friday. Yeah, I, I did mention, yeah, the so- East is just still wide open, Christian. I don't want to face anybody, but at the same time, also, I think you could, both our teams could beat anybody in mm-hmm. the East. Gosh, give me another Success Heat finals, Eastern Conference finals. That was fun a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, anyway, also, uh, switching topics to baseball, which it's alarming because, well, actually a little bit not alarming because the team, the two sides have met the last uh, four or five days now, but mm-hmm. both sides are saying, you know, we're not getting what we want. Like this is not a good faith offer. I, no way to know which way, who's good, which ones are being offered in good faith. Which one's just, Hey, we need games to be played so we can make our money. Cause we, we can all agree baseball is hurting and if they lose games, it will be detrimental. We saw this two years ago when they were trying to negotiate when they want to come back, how short that season was going to be when, you know, 2020, COVID rampage, spring training, they postponed it, The back and forth. You got to give and take a bit. And it seems like neither side wants to do a give and take. They just want an all-or-nothing approach, which is not how you do business at all. And we have only, from what all reports I've read, uh, February twenty eighth, you have to have an agreement in place, or else we will not have a full season. And if you have two, two in three, two seasons in three years, gosh, if I can speak that are not the full hundred two games, and we don't even know how long this season would be if they would start, you know, March first, well, not March first, like April first, June first, it could be August. We don't know when this will end. If baseball cannot afford to have the entire season canceled, or even the majority of the season canceled. They need the entire season. I think that it's going to be, it's going to be very hard to get agreement in place. And it's definitely frustrating that these two sides can't come to Cause I love baseball, even though you know, casual watcher until about June when the NBA and NHL season ends, but gosh, come You just find some common ground. There's gotta be something in there that they can agree on. And I don't know how long the CBA will last. It'll probably be a short deal. If I had it, I'm no expert on how collective bargaining agreements work and whatnot. It's just frustrating. So let's go Dalton next. Your thoughts with um, baseball and potentially postponing games. Well, canceling games is what they're saying now. The reports said.
1: Yeah, because they're. Mm, Yeah, it's just tough, man, because these guys uh, just can't seem to agree on anything, I guess. Just, I don't know. I just feel like we can't come to terms. Players, players want one thing. Uh, Owners and management they 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 want a different thing. And I mean, there's been precedents of this in the past, and you know, with lockouts in different sports, and you know, I mean, it's just one of those things where, I mean, at this point, if you can't agree on anything then just don't play i feel like that's (laughs) you know like i mean you got you got a deadline to meet and uh you know if you can't if you can't get it done in the boardroom then let's let's just just, let's skip the season season, i guess i'm not i'm not sure that i mean that's not what the players want um i'm sure that's not what management wants but you got to yeah, think about it. Like if if the players say for example they want more money, like do you got to realize that they've got livings and they got stuff that they have to do outside of baseball. And so if they need more money for the say minor leagues, whether the minor league wages if you want to increase those, you have to realize that these players have lives off the baseball diamond. So yeah, I mean Obviously me being in a sports admin class at my at BU, uh we've been looking at this one very closely. Uh I shouldn't say very closely, but like to the point where we like know what's going on. Um and uh I mean, yeah, it's just it's just crazy to think about, man, that, you know, professionals in today's world can't it's gotta be you know you gotta boil it down to the last minute essentially uh before anybody comes to a decision if they ever do which is which is crazy but yeah that's that's it
0: all right christian your thoughts on the potential mlb uh canceling games earlier on in the season
2: um it is a really big deal i don't think a lot of people really understand how just real difficult this is um We've had lockouts in the past, Uh, you know, MLB has done it before, (laughs) NFL has done it, and it it really does suck that um, owners, uh, players, and other management positions are too sometimes greedy for themselves where they can't uh, resolve this uh, Uh, contract conflict um of course the world runs on grain it runs on money so obviously people want to have as much money as they can uh not just for themselves but for their families and for their you know kind of their personal needs and everything so um it it does suck for MLB the players are not going to budge they want a certain amount and the owners and management aren't willing to do that um So, are we going to have a season? It's going to be very interesting. Uh, We all knew this was going to come, you know, in, you know, last year and possibly in the COVID year. So, we knew this was coming. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I would want to resolve, you know, I do like baseball. Um, It is America's pastime, even though I don't think it's America's number one sport, that is football, which I will talk about later on, but... Um, we will talk about later on. I'm talking about the combine, (laughs) but anyway, um, baseball's huge for America. It's huge, um, for a lot of people. So, uh, it, you know, things are going to get situated and hopefully they will, and we can have an NBA
0: season, hopefully in April. All right. So that's going to do it for me for the first half of the show, but Dalton's got some, um, very important news involving racing. So, Dalton, take it away.
1: Okay, Spence. Thank you. Um, there was the Daytona 500 this past weekend, and uh, for those of you who listened to the uh, to the episode last week, I made my predictions. And I said that uh, Kyle Larson was going to finish in first, Kyle Bush was going to finish in second, and Bubba Wallace was going to place third. And uh, I got one of those right, almost. Here's what I mean. So, the actual results came in, and Austin Sendrick came in first. Bubba Wallace came in second by a hair. I mean, it was close. And then Chase Briscoe came in third. Uh, Mark Truex Jr. Uh, won stages one and two, and then Austin Cedric, obviously, won stage three and the race as a whole. Uh, but it was crazy, man. There was there was a ton of wrecks. There was a wreck on lap sixty three at the end of stage one, where a car went airborne. There were eight cars involved. There was a there was a wreck on lap one fifty one, in stage three, where a car hits a wall. Five cars involved. Lap not one ninety one, um, which you know six cars involved. It's huge, 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 huge accident. Lap one ninety five, um, is again there's four more cars involved. Uh, and the one thing that stuck out to me with all these wrecks, and obviously in overtime, two races or two laps, excuse me, in overtime, um it was like right towards the end, you know, four to six cars were involved. And that's how, you know, originally I think bubble Wallace was on the inside and he wasn't able to get top three. And then that wreck happened. The guy on the outside, uh, car, car number 12, I forget who it is. I'll look at it in a second, but he swerved, hit the wall. And then three more cars got involved, uh, along with him. Uh, and then there was a bunch of them that just came in behind that wreck um but yeah i mean it was it was crazy man it was you know a lot a lot of a lot of cautions i think seven to be exact Uh, and those you don't know what caution is it's basically the yellow flag uh you know like the slowed in like the uh the lead the lead car has got to go out there and you know get everything in order um what was really interesting to me was that I was watching this and I was like, Brad Kozlowski was the main, main, the main person who caused at least two of the wrecks, and that that seems this might be just be me, but that seems a little bit fishy. Okay, I, there was at one point I think it was earlier in the race where Toyota. And just for background, I think Brad is a Ford driver. So Toyota had um, I think four out of five in, like like early on. and and then Brad causes the wreck, which involved four out of the five Toyota drivers, okay that Kyle Busch almost got put out of the race. I know Kyle Larson got put out of the race. He didn't finish. And then there was a few others who also um, like didn't finish. And you know, these guys are not Ford drivers. And that was kind of fishy to me, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna let it go for now because I'm not really that I'm not a uh, huge conspiracy guy. Anyway, so um yeah, a Ford Ford driver ended up winning the race. Toyota came in second. Um and it was kind of cool, man. It was kind of cool to see. Um, we had Floyd Floyd Mayweather's Chevy car, number fifty, was um, was in the race for a little bit uh, until he lost a rear wheel in stage one. Uh, the go, Michael Jordan, uh, is twenty three. Eleven <clears throat> racing uh was in this in this race. Uh Bubba came in second. Um in the twenty three car. Uh team Penske takes home takes home the Daytona five hundred win. And then um that's I think that's pretty much it for for that particular race. I have some news before then though. Chase Elliott had signed a five year extension with Hendrick's, excuse me, Hendrick Motorsports a day before the Daytona 500. And those of you who don't know, Chase Elliott was the 2020 Cup champion, uh, four-time reigning winner of the fan-voted Most Popular Driver Award, and is locked in the Chevy number 9, which is his car, through 2027. And now uh, Hendrick Motorsports can focus on a new deal for William Byron. Um their other racers Kyle Larson and Alex Bowman are in new deals already and all four drivers made the playoffs last year and Larson's first first um chip that was this past season gave Rick Hendricks who's the owner back-to-back titles with 2020-2021 so you know they're looking pretty good right now uh especially for the future Hendrick Motorsports one of the best in NASCAR I would have to have to say um Moving on, there is a uh, race uh, uh,
0: that, that is over in California, California.
1: California. Uh, Fontana. Um, that is uh, that is at three thirty Eastern Standard Time on Fox, and uh, that that ought to be kind of sick, man. Uh, it's gonna be. Let me see here. Kind of want to see who it says on ESPN that Alex Bowman was the winner last year. But if we saw, but if we remember what happened last week, you can never, never rely on um, ESPN to come through to drop the correct winners. All right. Yes. So Alex Bowman did win it last year. Um, he beat out Kyle Bush, who got second. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it should be pretty interesting. I think, uh, you know, it, uh, Oh, Hey now, um, Kyle Busch actually won the 2019 race as well. March 2X jr. 2018 Kyle Larson, 2017. That's okay. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you guys want to watch that, go ahead and go for it. I'll probably watch it. Um, just because I'm not doing anything else on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, let me just go ahead and give my quick prediction on that one. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll with the person who won the last race. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that a Toyota or Chevrolet will run the, will win the race. Um, specifically, I really liked Bubba Wallace's performance last week and I think that he bounces back. Uh, and actually takes home the gold. I think that Alex Bowman Bowman comes in second. And then give me um, Kyle Larson for third. So I think Bubba's going to get his, his first win of the season uh, this upcoming weekend. And Spence, I don't have anything else regarding NASCAR, but... Um, it's that time of the year again with formula one. And, uh, in a little while, I think we're going to talk about that. Uh, the first race is until March 20th. So we got a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Ready for it when the time comes, but, uh, I don't have anything else for you.
0: Oh, thanks for that. Dolan. It's gonna be a fun race. I, I may catch it. I may not. We'll have to wait and see what I have on Sunday. But I'm sure it'll be a good one, just like last week. Do you think we'll have more wrecks than we did last week?
1: Ooh, dude, that could be interesting. Uh, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we'll have less wrecks than we did last week. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that wouldn't shock me uh, if, you know, there's a little bit of animosity uh, from this Daytona 500, especially with certain drivers who weren't able to finish uh, the the Daytona 500. Uh, if they come out and you know maybe maybe do a little bit more more bumping more pushing uh than other drivers might expect. So uh, we'll have to see.
0: All right. So we will take a brief ad break. When we come back, we have a little bit of news that you may not think that we would talk about. And then Christian, he's been begging to have this segment in here. So just like we have racing with Doll we'll have, we will have combine slash draft preview with Christian. So we'll take a break, and you do not want to miss this. And we're back from the ad break, guys. With our first story, again, nothing one hundred percent confirmed one way or another yet. But and again, I don't normally like talking about rumors, but this is something that by the time we're recording next week, it may be a done deal. Troy Aikman, who has been at Fox for the last, oh, about two decades now. He's been the number one booth with Joe Buck. I-, I think they do personally do a great job. I know some people have different opinions, and that's totally fine there. But Troy Aikman rumored to potentially be leaving Fox to go to ESPN and join their, um, would be their Monday Night Football broadcast, along with, you know, they get playoff games in the future. I know a Super Bowl is coming to ABC, ESPN, the Disney, you know, family networks there. So it'd be fun. It'd be it's great move for ESPN to get Troy Aikman on their on their um, sideline, but it's a huge um loss for Fox because that's their number one team. Is Bucking Aikman? They've done, and from what I've read last day or so, Fox has two of the next three Super Bowls because you know NBC switched it this year because of the Olympics. So they got the coverage there, so they didn't compete against the Olympics on their channels. So Fox has two of the next three. They need to get a good booth. And again, they, you know, Greg Olson's been at Fox for a while. Maybe Sean Payton has, that's what he retired, quote unquote, because some people think he may come back. Um, there was even a rumor, and I know Dawn's going to probably scoff at this, and I don't think much of it, but Sean McVay could even potentially be in the booth. I think it'd be a big jump. Uh, you know, there's also, again, who knows where they could go, but for ESPN to get, a guy of Eggman's caliber to pair with, let's face it, Monday Night Football, of like the lead Brock, teams we go NBC, CBS, Fox, and uh, ESPN. ESPN is probably the weakest front line there. Although, again, this is going to get a lot of shakeup because Al Michaels' contract with NBC right now. Michelle Tafoya, their silent reporter with NBC, her contract right now. So, it's, it's, NBC is going to give a big shakeup with Sunday Night Football next year. I'm, I'm just excited to watch it because Amazon is getting the mix with them getting the Thursday Night Football deal. Uh, I, I could go on and all because I just love That was one of the times I want to be a sports broadcaster. That may fall in line. We'll see what happens with my future. But Aikman, ESPN, I'm excited for that because whoever they pair with him, whether they get Al Michaels away, because Al Michaels is negotiating with Amazon supposedly, if they can get Al Michaels to ESPN, and get Al Michaels, Troy Aikman together, that is going to be a hell of a duo. And I will love every minute of that if they have chemistry together. So I'll go to Christian next. Your thoughts on the potential Aikman ESPN move? Um, It's huge.
2: You know, Troy Aikman uh, and Joe Buck are two of the top broadcasters in the sport. Um, you know, you, you know their names, and they are, are very incredible announcers. Joe Buck has not only done this, he's on baseball, he's done a little basketball. So Joe is very well-rounded as well. So, And there's rumors that he could possibly leave as well with Troy going to ESPN. Um, it'd be hurting for Fox. Um, these are the best in their best. And, you know, we were talking about this, how broadcaster free agency has hit and not the NFL free agency uh has been hit yet, not until a couple weeks. So uh, it's huge for Troy if he goes and moves to ESPN. Um, that's kind of like every, I think every broadcaster's dream is to work at ESPN and be a prime, uh, prime talent at ESPN, being a broadcaster, host, what have you. Um, so, I mean, good luck for Troy. Uh, it's a huge opportunity. And for Monday Night Football, it's one of those things like it's kind of a dud, you know, Monday Night Football is just kind of like another game. It's not like high profile games or any top games. Could that change if ESPN gets Troy, maybe Joe as well, where like the big game, like some big games are going to be on Monday night? Who knows? And that's going to be very interesting to see. But if Troy leaves Fox to go to ESPN, I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, you got to chase for the dream. You don't want to work.
0: Also, the money reportedly being thrown out is it.
2: it's a lot of money. It well, the world runs on money, as I said <laughs> on the MLB. So it's a ton of money. It's a good grab. Um, I mean, everybody wants you know if you if you're fine at like a UPS, but you want to work at Amazon. That's the thing now. Like UPS, very good job, very solid at what they do. You know, that's in the running for big um, you know package delivering. But Amazon, that, that's that's the ESPN. Uh, package and So you want to work at the best. So you, you don't want to just be media, like be the best at a mediocre. You want to try and be the best at the best. So that's why I would say he should reach for the stars and go after it. But he says at Fox. It's on him. He goes ESPN. It's on him. So it's his decision no matter what.
0: I'll be watching the games regardless. So I will watch, A, I'll watch anything football related. And B, I like Aikman. So I'll watch that. Dolan, your thoughts on the potential Troy Aikman ESPN move?
1: Um, great. I think it's awesome. Um, you know, so you get to a point where, uh, sometimes you just get somewhere else. Sometimes you just got to have new scenery and, uh, he's been there for a while and, um, if his buddy Joe Buck goes with him, great. Um, Fox will be missing them, though. I mean, those... Uh, they'll have to go out and find two fantastic replacements.
0: Uh, or they probably should be so, the number two team, but that's uh, another discussion for the other day.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, they, these would be huge gets for for ESPN. Uh, uh, Greats for sure.
0: Well, the moment that I know at least Christian's been waiting for. Hopefully, you, the listeners, have been waiting for it as well. We have the combines coming up, so I'll defer to Christian. He knows a lot more about the combine than I do. So, Christian, kind of we do Racing with Dolan. The segment is all yours. So, take it away.
2: Yeah, thank you, Spencer. Um, I'm very excited for the combine. Um, the NFL kind of off season has, will begin very shortly. And it's going to first begin with the NFL Combine. It's not the beginning of the league year, quote unquote, but it's definitely offseason time where all 32 teams are looking to add right young stars and hopefully make their team better and possibly make it to the Super Bowl next season. So what I'm going to be able to do is I'm going to list kind of my top five uh, players that I think are going to be at each position, the top five players, And talk about them, some stats, and where I think uh, they're going to go in terms of, you know, kind of like fit I would be. So let's start off with the most important position in football, and that's going to be the quarterback position. So my number one player is Matt Corral from Ole Miss. I think Matt Corral is the best quarterback in this class, and I will explain uh, why I think he is better than my number two. So Matt Corral... Had 3,300 you know, 3, yards this past season, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions. He actually had less touchdowns and a couple less interceptions. It was kind of a down year. Everyone thought Matt Corral was going to be the number two quarterback behind Spencer Rattler. And after what was up Spencer, him being benched by Caleb Williams in the middle of the season at Oklahoma, transferred to South Carolina, he may not be – the best prospect everyone thought he was going to be, but Matt Corral he also had a down year in terms of passing and being that just top dude. He's had better games against U of L and uh, like other teams like Florida and teams like that, but struggled against Alabama. Really struggled against LSU. Um, and when we go down each week by week, I will break down. Each of my top quarterbacks, and also talk about quarterbacks who will do well at the combine. Who I think, okay, they've raised their stock. But Matt Corral, three percent worse completion percentage. His average was down. Uh, his you know his rating was actually 22 points worse. Uh, he actually ran more times last year, more RPOs at Ole Miss. Uh, and he was sacked 25 times in the SEC. He was third in yards, eighth in touchdowns and fourth least in interceptions, or kind of most in that terms, and then third in completion percentage. Very, very good quarterback, zipper of an arm. Of course, the question, is he tall enough? He's 6'2", and everybody wants that 6'5", prototypical quarterback, but we've seen Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Kyler Murray be smaller than the average quarterback and still make amazing plays. The number two quarterback I have on my list is Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. Why I think he is my number two is because of one person he kind of reminds me of: North former North Carolina quarterback Mitch Trubisky. And it's not because of a throwing motion or his averages and all this stuff. Last year, or the last couple of years, he's been the starter. He's averaged 12 and a half touchdowns, eight interceptions, mediocre. Just a mediocre quarterback in Pittsburgh, and he blew the heck up in the in the ACC. He had uh, four you know forty three hundred yards, forty two touchdowns, seven interceptions, six percent better completion percentage, and he's a very solid runner. He's not he's more pocket passer than Matt. He's second in yards in the ACC, first in touchdowns, eighth in interceptions, which is okay, and the best completion percentage. So expect Kenny Pickett to do really well in the combine, but I think overall it's going to be Matt Corral being the better one. The third quarterback to watch out for Malik Wells from Liberty. Very good quarterback, very athletic. He actually took a step up in terms of passing and took a step back in rushing a little bit, you know, 2,800 yards. You, you want to see a quarterback at least hit 3,000 means like, okay, he's a solid quarterback. But it's also Liberty. You're not really working with a ton. Um, You know, he transferred from Auburn to Liberty. So give him more, you know, like he was going to be a better and main focus on that offense at Liberty. And he did fine independently. 27 touchdowns, which did lead the independents, but also 12 interceptions. So interception problem. If he goes to a team, he's definitely going to be a project and really trying to limit those. Because he he has 12 against – you know, not the best of teams. The best team he played was Ole Miss. So if he's having 12 interceptions, he's kind of raw in terms of accuracy. So let's see if that you know gets better at the combine A and if he when he does get drafted uh in April. You know, was actually down completion percentage by three point one. Uh and he actually did worse and like I said in rushing. Um You know, he had 878 yards, which is pretty good, 13 touchdowns. But it was about 100 yards less with almost 50 more carries. So it's kind of interesting that Liberty, you know, the defenses playing Liberty actually stopped Malik Willis from running all over them, unlike former running quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Malik Cunningham, and so on. My number four quarterback to watch out for, Sam Howell. Again, he was one of those dudes that everybody thought – Okay, Sam is probably third best quarterback uh, coming in this class preseason. Spencer obviously fell off the map. Matt went back, and Sam went back in terms of passing. He has gotten worse every single year in passing since 2019, his true freshman year. Lit the you know he lit the ACC on fire. Did fine last year. uh, Did fine two seasons ago during COVID. Last year took a major step back. You know just a little bit over 3,000 yards 24 touchdowns nine interceptions almost six percent percent six percent uh worse completion percentage you know 1.5 worse average in terms of passing you know he doubled his rushes from about 96 to about 183 and he ran for 828 yards he was sacked 48 times so hopefully you know who wh- whichever team you know gets Drafts Sam Howell, a better offensive line will be there for Sam. So he's not hit all the daggum time like, you know, AFC champion winning quarterback Joe Burrow was this past season. So, you know, fifth in yards in the ACC, six in touchdowns, fourth most interceptions, six middle of the pack in completion percentage. And number five quarterback, it's going to be interesting how you two react to this. Former Louisville, Kentucky native Desmond Ritter. From Cincinnati, the 6'4, 215 pound quarterback from Cincinnati. I think he is the fifth best quarterback, and there's a lot of conversation with that. Carson Strong, Baylor Zappi, Jack Cohen, um, Brock Prudy from Iowa State. I had a lot of options here, which, by the way, all the names I just mentioned, let's see what they can do in the combine, and I think they can do very well. But Desmond Ritter had an amazing year 3,300 yards. He had 3,334 yards. He just has one yard short. Holy crap. What a stat line. 30 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 100 more passes. So Cincinnati really focused their offense on him. Um, completion percentage was a decrease, but he had 100 more passes, which was fine. A um, thousand yard increase in yards, point four average. He ran more, but less yards than he did last year. And he had half the amount of touchdowns he did was six. So he really wasn't the running kind of quarterback they wanted him. He was more of a pocket passer, and he did very well for that. So quarterbacks is going to be very interesting to see what these five uh, young men will do. Obviously, like I mentioned, Jack Cone, can't wait to see him at Notre Dame. Obviously, Notre Dame had a, you know interesting season up and down. Even though they were number, I believe, five in the college football playoff or number six, whichever one it was. Um every you know he was kind of quiet. He wasn't you know exploding stat lines and everything. Can't wait to see what he can do. Bailey Zappi had a really good year, broke the passing yard and touchdown mark from Joe Burrow when he made at LSU. And Bailey, forget the team he played uh in the I think Hawaii Bowl or Bahamas Bowl, uh or, you know, in the beginning of bowl season, lit them up and did really well for Western. Carson Strong. Again, one of those preseason quarterbacks we thought was going to do really well. He kind of slimmed back and really regressed as a passer and a runner. Um, And this is Mountain West, you know, Mountain West competition. Yes, it's D1. Yes, there's a lot of uh, players that I will talk about from the Mountain West that could be really good. But the exact same time, this is an SEC Big Ten defenses. This is guys who... A majority of them will not go to uh, the NFL. And also Brock Prudy, Iowa State, him and Brees Hall were amazing two seasons ago. Last year took a major step back, but he still did fine. Let's see what he can do. And he can be probably the number six quarterback, honestly, if he does very well. So now we're going to go to the running backs. And my number one running back is Brees Paul from Iowa state, who I just mentioned, he had 253 carries, which is uh, third most in the big 12, 1400 yards, 20 touchdowns. And he was a decent receiving back has receiving back means he's like, you know, running back who catches the football, 36 catches, 300 yards and a touchdown. He's very good. Um, 5.8 a carry. He can do a lot. Uh, And he is a real trucker. He's a big build, 6'1", 220. He is a power back. This year, I do want to mention the running backs in this class. You know, we always talk about a Christian McCaffrey, um, a Zeke Elliott, a Saquon Barkley. You want to get early. I don't think there is a back in this class that you would want to get top 10, top 15, top 20. Uh, They're not elite in that sense. But at the same time, Brees Hall, I do think, is the best running back. And it's it's a little bit of a competition, but I think he's ahead of the curve. Number two for me is Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, 6'1", 215 pounds. 179 carries. He did get hurt midway through the season. So his stat line is not as good as these other quarter, uh, quarterbacks, running backs I'm going to mention. But at the time he played, uh, which I think was like eight games, which is still very impressive. 179 carries, over 1,000 yards, 6 touchdowns, 25 catches for 189 yards. Kind of the same deal with uh, Brace, more power, just stronger build. And he is pretty agile when you actually really watch him. He cuts real well. Um, I really do enjoy him at Texas A&M. But he's kind of middle of the pack in terms of stats just because he did get hurt. And there's another SEC running back that I think – you know, did really well because of his injury in terms of stats. Now, number three, and the reason he's number three is, like I mentioned with Kenny Pickett, and that is Kenny Walker the third from Michigan State, 5'10", 210 pounds. When he was at Wake Forest, he did okay. He was, he was a rotation back, had 500 yards. He was fine. With the Michigan State, wanted an increased roll, and my gosh, was it increased. Almost tripled his carries, tripled his yards, 18 touchdowns. He wasn't really a receiving back for Michigan State. They didn't really run, um, I guess you know, 10, 11 personnels where the running back can sometimes get the ball. But the reason why I think he's number three is just because is this a one-hit wonder? Right? You never want to see that. But is he a one-hit wonder? Kenny Pickett did really well. But he was just mediocre his entire career before that. Kenny Walker had a very good season this year, and a lot of people think he's number one back. But before then, just kind of middle of the pack, and that could be said by a lot of other players. But nothing screams at you before the beginning of the season saying, "Oh, Kenny Walker, watch out for him." Everyone thought, "Yeah, he can do something," but like exactly what? So I think Kenny Walker is going to be number three right now. Depending on what happens at the combine, he could move up, and he actually could move down for me. Number four for me, and this it was a it was the best of the Georgia trio, and I think that is a mere White from Georgia, six foot, two hundred fifteen pounds, hundred sixty carries, eight hundred fifty six yards, eleven TDs, and he also had nine catches in the backfield. I think he it exactly like the other two I mentioned with uh, Bryce Hall. And uh, isaiah spiller, bigger build, trucking kind of running back. He's not the guy that's going to you know outspeed you or outsprint you, home run hitter. He's just let's get the yards 5.3 average of carry and we'll do fine. And that was Amir White's role, and that's what got them in Georgia to win the national championship this year. So I think Zamir, very underrated. A lot of rankings don't have him in a top five. I think he's really good. And I hope he absolutely knocks it out of the park. So I actually look right. Uh, once we get that on Friday, that's when the running backs are due. And number five, I've seen his name float around, and that is Kyran Williams from Notre Dame. Now Kyran, it, or Kyron, I don't, I can't pronounce the names well, so don't hate me on this. But um, had two hundred and four carries, a thousand and two yards, fourteen touchdowns. But he was also, you know, he was a back who caught a lot. 42 catches for 359 yards and three touchdowns. He was a very good game. They, Notre Dame knows how to get everybody involved. Doesn't matter if you're a quarterback, you got to run. If you're a running back, you know how to catch. If you're a receiver, you need to know how to be a running back as well or possibly even throw and have trick plays and stuff like that. His average 4.9, you like to see a little bit better, but at the same time, 4.9. Is still extremely fine. So I think that he is number five, and he can definitely be one in people's opinions, two, three, all over this list. But I still think, you know, Zamir is a little better, Kenny, Brace, and Isaiah. Kyron is still going to be an incredible back, whoever picks him up. And also, players to watch Jerron Ely at Ole Miss, Brian Robinson, who led the SEC in rushing yards. Not a lot of people are talking about him. I think he can shock a lot of people, and he's a Bama dude, right? We talk about Bama dudes, Mark Ingram won the Heisman. Derrick Henry is the best running back in the NFL right now. Brian Robinson, Bama dude, he's a monster. So I can't wait to see what he does. And also, Hassan Haskins. He and Kenny Walker were the top two in the Big Ten. So Hassan will be very interesting to see once we get into the combine. Up next is the wide receiver rankings. These are – this is a really good class. You know, last year with Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, um, Amanius St. Brown, one of the St. Browns who went to Detroit. Um, Very good. Um, Elijah Moore, uh, who I thought Green Bay should have drafted um, in this past draft. These receivers are pretty daggum good. And my number one wide receiver – And I put this in quotations. If 100% healthy. uh, I I forget the exact injury that he had in the national championship game. But losing him absolutely hurt Alabama. And that is Jamison Williams from Alabama. 79 catches. Which was only fifth in the SEC. Pretty good for, you know, pretty low for the SEC in my opinion. Uh, 1,500 yards. Almost like right there, close to 1600, 15 touchdowns, and average 20 yards a catch. He was number one in every single category besides catches. I think he can have the fastest combine. I think he can be very explosive for any NFL offense. Um, you look at a team like the Jets, they could absolutely need a speedy guy like Jameson Williams. Um, I think it's a top 10, top 15 pick. And I think it would be very good watching him. The next guy I have for you is Drake London from USC. Kind of, a, you know, again, pretty season. We thought, okay, he can be an okay receiver. But everyone, he had a really, he did have a really incredible year in terms of stats, you know, in the Pac-12 wise. Um, 88 catches, you know, 1,084 yards, seven touchdowns only. Wasn't, you know, touchdown threat really. And about 12 average. Very good wide receiver. Number one in catches and yards in the Pac-12. Uh, very explosive. Really nice route runner. I can't wait to actually really dive into his film. I haven't really watched a lot of these players' films you know, as we go on the list here. But still, I think Drake London can be very, very good for any NFL offense. Number three and four are two Ohio State guys. And this is incredible to me. That there were almost three wide receivers at one school who almost had a thousand yards, and one of those guys who had a thousand can't even go in the draft next. He can't even go in the draft this year. He has to wait till next year with his quarterback CJ Stroud to be able to be uh, draft eligible. But my number three is Garrett Wilson. So he is the Jamison Williams of Ohio State. He was a speedy guy. Seven catches, 1,058 yards, 12 touchdowns. He, he He's absolutely incredible watching him in real time. Um, again, nice route runner can really – like, if you're sleeping on Garrett, he's going to beat you. And he's not the guy everybody talks about. He's not the guy in Ohio say everybody talks about. And that's actually number four, Chris Olave. Number four, Chris Olave, 65 catches, five less than Garrett. Like, you saw how – they spread the ball out to their three best wide receivers in college football, and they done really well. 936 yards, so close to 1,000. 13 touchdowns, and he broke the all-time touchdown uh, record at Ohio State. Very talented wide receiver. Um, honestly, there could seriously be five wide receivers. All five receivers I'm going to mention could possibly be drafted in the first round. Receivers are very valuable in this class, and these receivers are very good and could absolutely be better, could possibly be better than this past class with Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and et cetera. My number five is Arkansas boy, Trey Burks. Six, six catches, 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, 16.7 average a catch. I mean, Arkansas is just kind of one of those teams where it's like, they're good in moments. <laughs> like, they started off hot. And then they kind of fall off, or vice versa. They start terrible and somehow beat uh, interesting teams later on down the season. And Trey Burks was one of the reasons. Um, you know, even though 66 catches, he was really their only main target at Arkansas. Um, he, the NFL comparison is AJ Brown with wiggle, which means he's just a little bit more agile in the hips uh, and can be able to. Uh, beat opposing cornerbacks pretty easily but wide receiver is going to be very very good and I can't wait to see him really all you know catching with the quarterbacks and with the tight ends guys to watch out for David Bell out of Purdue I think he is very underrated uh, Jaheen Dotson who is top five for a lot of people but he's kind of a slot guy so if you need a slot receiver go after Dotson and be just fine. But I'm thinking if you want a receiver, you want an outside threat, I think you get one of these five guys I just mentioned. Um, another guy people can go after, Donatero Drummond, uh, made some very good plays at times uh, at Ole Miss with Matt Corral. Um, Sky Moore out of Western Michigan, one of those guys that he can really pop up with games. And again, Mountain West, Western Michigan – not going to be the biggest uh, threat, but he is going to be a very interesting uh, player, possibly. George Pickens out of Georgia. He's not getting a lot of hype. Wondell Robinson out of Kentucky. He's very good. Justin Ross. At one time, we thought he was going to be, you know, a top receiver coming out of a class. He's falling off a lot of boards just because of injuries and not being really the same kind of player. But these receivers, it's very deep. And could we see a Cooper Cup come out of a school like, I don't know, Christian Watson out of North Dakota State? I mean, I think he is a fine receiver. I think he's a day three guy, kind of like Cooper. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the lower kind of schools. And now we move on to tight ends. Tight ends – It's not a good class this year. It's just really not. I've looked at so many boards because I really haven't really dived into uh, films, past receivers. But tied in this year, nobody has a consensus number one. They have Jalen Widemeyer as the number one guy. They have Trey McBride as the number one guy. They have Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina as the number one guy. They have Cade Otten from Washington as the number one guy. I mean, it's tight end is going to be very interesting, and it depends on the person. Um, But for me, the number one tight end is going to be Jalen Weidemeyer from Texas A&M. 40 catches, uh, 500 and 15 yards, four touchdowns, 13 average. Um, Again, more of a red zone kind of threat. You know, you need six. You kind of throw to Jalen. Real solid tight end. Fine blocking. Um, he's gonna do, you know, he's a big dude, like six five, six six, you know, real just kind of man handler. So if any team decides to draft him, you know, if they have a good pass rusher, Jalen could be very interesting for them. The next two guys I'm going to mention are two main receiving tight ends who are like blocking wise they're okay, but receiving they're real big receiving threats. And num- my number two is Trey McBride out of Colorado State. Number one weapon for Colorado State, he had 90 catches, 1,100 yards, only one touchdown, which is very surprising. Uh, he's kind of like one of those guys that he falls at the two-yard line and if they have to run in. It, like It really sucks for his stats like that, but still very nice tight end, big receiving threat. So in terms of receiving tight end, I think he's probably the number one tight end. Number three, in my opinion, is Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. 59 catches, 912 yards, 12 touchdowns, 15.5 average. Coastal Carolina, we all had like this hype around Coastal Carolina. Um, they were, like, I think at one point, a top 15 team in college last year. And they're a very good school. And I think they can absolutely be better. Uh, it is the Sun Belt, so they're not playing the biggest and baddest competition out there. But when they have to play – They play a pretty solid game. So I think Isaiah Likely is a nice tight end, big receiving threat, and he could absolutely fall into day two, you know, type of tight end range. Number four for me is Jeremy Rucker. Now his stats are not going to be huge because he's from Ohio State. So like I mentioned, yeah, three guys with 1,000 yards. Those are the main three dudes who C.J. Stroud threw to. But C.J. threw to Jeremy 26 times, 26 catches, 309 yards, and three touchdowns. So he, again, was kind of this, you know, inside the red zone, you know, kind of red zone threat, and not a lot of people can guard Ohio State tight ends. They are pretty good at sometimes. So Jeremy, I definitely think, can be, again, day two caliber draft pick. And number five for me, I don't really see the hype on this guy, but there's not a lot of big tight end names. That I think could really make some noise, but it's going to be K. Dotton. You know, one list put him as the number one guy because he's a you know he's a blocker, but he's not really a receiving threat. 28 catches, 250 yards, one touchdown, and that was like in the beginning of the season, so he really wasn't a threat uh, later on down the line. But he's kind of an H kind of tight end, which I mean by H is he's a second tight end, but he's mainly a blocking kind of tight end. So. You know, he, he's kind of a full your, – your old school fullback kind of dude. But, you know, this year tied in, it just kind of falls off after, you know, in four in my opinion. You know, and again, not a lot of guys that I'll, I've seen or people are like, yes, you need to get this guy. Um, a lot of people, you know, mention Daniel Bellinger out of San Diego State, Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin. um, Charlie Cooler out of Iowa State, uh, Chig Okwongo from Maryland, just a lot of different guys um, that could be valuable at tight end. Um, no, no, There's no Kyle Pitts in this draft, so just be kind of wary of that. And now the next position, my favorite position, the offensive line. Even though I was not good when I played offensive line, I was better a better defensive player, I still love my offensive linemen. And we're going to talk about offensive tackles and then interior offensive linemen. My number one offensive tackle is Evan Neal. Big frame dude. Real good pass blocker. Um, he is the Panay soul and possibly a better version of Panay soul uh, in this class. Now, Makai Becton, or um, the name escapes me, but Tampa Bay drafted an offensive lineman. Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs, thank you. I not remember him. Thank you, Spencer, for that. Right. Uh, Tristan works. He, is kind, he reminds me kind of of that. Uh, he's a little less than that, but I still think Evan Neal is a very good offensive lineman. Um, cannot wait to see offensive line drills. Love me some pass blocking drills. Uh, one of the favorite drills I love is the mirror drill. Can you keep up with, uh, can you keep up with pass rushers and different types of moves and everything? Of course, the rabbit, which means the actual defender you're trying to block is tired offensive linemen because it is like the last drill they do. Um, So all these guys are really tired from other days' work. But still kind of shows, you know, are they able to change direction real well? I've seen Evan Neal, and he's done a really good job. He's a big frame dude. Even though Alabama did allow the most sacks in the SEC, Evan Neal only allowed just a couple. So that entire Alabama offense is very questionable. Uh, but I still think Evan Allen is going to be one of uh, uh, – Evan Neal, I say Allen, Evan Neal is going to be one of the top prospects in the class and possibly number one overall pick. My next pick, and again, I cannot pronounce names at all, but is NC State player Akeem Akwonu out of NC State. Um, Same thing, same build. Um, a lot of people thought, oh, he's more of an interior guy, and he could be, you know. People list him as a guard. Uh, he's played guard. He's played tackle. And he's very good at both. So, if, he, if whoever drafts Akeem, which I think is going to be top five, um, they're going to get a real versatile offensive lineman. So, in terms of that, he's absolutely number one. Because Evan Neal at guard, uh, you don't really see a 6'6", six, 6'7 six, six, guy um, at guard. But, you know, who knows? Akeem, kind of 6'4", 6'5"-ish. He can definitely – you know, play anywhere that they need him. So he can do very well whichever team locks him up. Number three, it's Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. And, again, I've been watching a ton of fill on these offensive linemen, but Charles is a big frame dude. I mean, he just kind of manhandles you and makes sure you don't do a daggum thing against Mississippi State's quarterback. He did the best he could. Mississippi State is not the best uh, program in terms of right now. But it's a very good program still and from a historical standpoint. But Charles Cross, absolutely a top ten pick and could be very well for an NFL program. My number four is a uh, non-FBS division school, and that is Trevor Pinging out of Northern Iowa. He is the Ali Marpet of the world. Uh, Ali Marpet went to Hofstra which is not even a Division One school. It's a Division Two school, and he's one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. Trevor Payne, kind of the same thing. Day one, day two-ish, um, you know, Cincinnati definitely could be in this rage of getting Trevor and can do just very fine. He's a big frame, big boy. Um, and, again, he's one of those guys, you want a guy from Georgia, Alabama, Iowa, all these Big Ten schools even Uh, because Big Ten knows how to recruit, especially Iowa, Wisconsin, Penn State. They know how to uh, recruit offensive linemen. You let a guy sub under you like Trevor Payne, he's going to make you regret, uh, you know, drafting other guys over him. So I think Trevor absolutely can steal the show in terms of offensive lines. Cincinnati, I think they should have their eyes on Trevor with the 31st pick once the draft comes in April. And my number five – I really had a lot of a struggle with this because they list some offensive linemen I've seen play tackle as a guard and some I've seen as a guard as a tackle. They list him as a guard. I do not remember seeing him uh, as a guard, but Kenyon Green from Texas AM. Kind of big, you know, 6'4, 6'5 ish. He could play inside if he really has to, uh, but I still think he's a good frame, good pass blocker um, in terms of NFL. You know, how will that transition? College ball, you know, it's still pretty good because SEC talent, a lot of defensive players we're going to talk about are from the SEC, so he did a very fine job if he played over at Texas A&M and especially against two of the top defensive linemen from uh, the SEC. Now, my interior offensive line. My number one guy, and I think he is probably the best overall prospect, um you know, in terms of offensive line is Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. Uh, He is a center. He plays center mostly and very good. He's, you know, very smart trying to lead his offensive linemen to very do well in pass block. They don't give up sacks a lot. That's the weirdest thing. Besides Purdue, they really didn't allow a ton of sacks. And Tyler Linderbaum is that reason really kind of controls that offensive line. Uh, every time you look uh, at a center, you look at the leadership. Is he a good leader? Does he have his head down a lot? When he makes a mistake, does he try and blame others and be like, you're supposed to get him, or or whatever? He's very – if he makes a mistake, it's on him, goes to the next play. And I really love that out of Tyler. My number two is Bernard Rainman from Central Michigan. Again, one of these guys that you don't really think could get offensive linemen. Cause they're not power five. They're not guys you see all the time on TV, but Bernard, one of the best offensive linemen Central Michigan has ever had and could absolutely seal the show at, you know, the, you know, at pass protection, good run blocking as well. But Bernard, absolutely. My number two pick number three, four and five. It kind of gets a little tricky. You got to pick a little bit, but I think my number three player is Darian Connard from Kentucky. Uh, he was a first-round projected draft pick, really did not elevate himself um, last year, had, had real sloppy footwork. Um, he, like, his hands aren't the best. He kind of wants to grab you by the shoulder pads and gets called for holding a lot. So, in that terms, Darian is going to be an interesting project, probably not a day-one starter, but could eventually, if he works on his hands and footwork, could also be a monster because he is very good in run blocking, because he's going to hunt you down. Pass blocking is only question mark. Uh, number four is Zion Johnson from Boston College. I think Zion, um, kind of like the Zion Williamson in the NBA, he's a big frame dude and he's going to knock the crap out of you. Uh, very good run blocker. Pass blocking is you know, iffy at best, but Zion is a very good player out of Boston College. Uh, they always have very interesting players at Boston. You know, Zion, Luke Keekly, Matt Ryan. Uh, They always get you kind of a player here and there, uh, even though, uh, you know, as a historical standpoint, Boston has never been the team in the ACC, but still very the program. Cannot wait to see what they do in the future in the ACC. And number five is Dylan Parham from Memphis. Seen a lot of people talk about him. He's really climbed the ranks uh, when he was at senior day. Cannot wait to see him at the combine. Don't really know a ton about him, but, I think Dylan from Memphis, um, he's been pass for, you know, some decent quarterbacks the last several years. Um, forget the name off the top of my head. From, he was from Memphis. But still very good player, very good offensive line. So, in American competition, it's probably the the, the sixth best conference uh, in terms of, like, power five, obviously one through five. And then America is probably the bet the next best thing. And he's played good competition against them. And now on to the defense. These are the big boys. And this is a very heavily nice defensive draft class. Uh, Besides one position, but we will get to that. So, edge rushers. We are possibly going to see two edge rushers in the top three. I would be very shocked if they fall below five. So, number one, like I said, I think Jacksonville is going to go offensive line. Whether that's Ickham, whether that's Evan, heck could they draft Tyra Linderbaum? Whatever. I think Jacksonville needs to draft offensive line just per need, because Joe Burrow, they drafted they didn't draft an offensive line. Joe almost got hurt again in the Super Bowl. But my number one edge rusher, and I'm probably gonna get a lot of crap for this, it's Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. Kayvon was the number one prospect other than Spencer Rattler. If you're not mentioning quarterbacks, Kayvon is the number one preseason draft dude. Everybody thought Kayvon was the top defensive end. Last year, you didn't really talk about the you know defensive line because there wasn't really great defensive linemen. Kayvon was the best defensive lineman uh, in college football, even though he wasn't going to go into the draft. Oregon, You know, he had 49 tackles, seven sacks, and two forced fumbles. He did fine. Um, Oregon, it was very interesting this year. They started off really well. At one point, I think number two team in the entire nation. Um, And then he just fell off a map. Utah twice, um, just embarrassed. Uh, You know, the head coach left. So a lot of just bad things happened at Oregon towards the end of the year. But Kavon did the best he absolutely could and it kept his draft, draft uh, stock up to, like I said, potential uh, top three draft pick. My number two is Aiden Hutchinson. And to a lot of people, it's Kayvon and Aiden, 1A, 1B. Everyone's going to say, oh, I think Aiden is the better one. I think Kayvon is the better one. I just think what we've seen, we know Kayvon is really very good, and he's consistent. He's going to get after the quarterback any way he can. Pac-12 doesn't have offensive line. Um, the better offensive lineman, that's the Big Ten, that's SEC. Pac-12 is kind of the least uh, conference in terms of offensive line, just in my opinion. But Kavion did really well, seven, tack, seven sacks, and he was a very good guy. He was always in the quarterback space. With Aiden, he was projected number 32 to the Kansas City Chiefs in the preseason, in the preseason draft. So – we all knew Aiden was talented. We all knew that he was going to be a first-round draft pick. If he just gets better, period, he was going to be a first-round draft pick. He was amazing. 60 tackles, 14 sacks. He and another guy I are about to mention, they, they killed it. They absolutely killed it at Michigan. And Aiden is just a versatile guy. He will he can bull rush you, he can swim you, he can just juke you if he has to. Offensive linemen are just you know just going to be in trouble going up against Aiden Hutchinson. He's a very just raw athlete, and I think he can absolutely just make a mark, whether he goes to Detroit, he goes to you know the Jets, the Giants, Carolina if they want to go defensive pass rusher again. Aiden's gonna be very good wherever he goes. Number three, and again, terrible pronouncing names, but it's Jor Koloftis out of Purdue. He didn't have the explosive season we thought he was going to have. Only third, uh, 36 tackles, four and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. He, he did do well against Iowa, like I mentioned. That was one of the big games he probably had. But he was just really quiet this year. A lot of teams – in the Big Ten, really focused on George and kind of made him irrelevant during the year. But still, he's a very talented dude. Uh, cannot wait to see him at the combine. And he does very well. He's going to probably stay at number three, in my opinion. Number four is David Ojabo from Michigan. David and Aiden, match made in heaven. like, And also a match made in hell for any offensive lineman. If you stop dating, David's going <laughs> to kick your butt. You stop David, Aiden's going to kick your butt. So it was really just, you know, kind of a bad deal in terms of offensive line. And that's what, you know, them too, and also a whole bunch of other pieces that Michigan really helped Michigan go into the college football playoff for the first time. And even though they did get stopped by Georgia, you know, Aiden still did what he could do. He was silenced in that game, in the college football playoff game against Georgia. But at the same time, both are very good players. David, 35 tackles, 11 sacks. Just two guys alone yeah, 25 sacks. That's very impressive. Not a lot of teams get 25 sacks, period, in college and the NFL. So very impressive for them. And also five forced fumbles. You know, he really turned over to football a lot when he needed to with David. So he is a very good player. And i say number four. But in a lot of other years, I think he's number one last year, honestly. And number five for me, Jermaine Johnson, the the second from Florida State. He was really the only defensive, like, really defensive maker uh, for Florida State. 70 tackles, 12 sacks, two forced fumbles, absolutely a monster coming off the edge. And at Florida State – You're going up against Kenny Pickett, Malik Cunningham, Armstrong, uh, Sam Howell. You got a lot of decent quarterbacks. These offensive linemen could not handle, could not handle Jermaine Johnson. And again, he's number five on my list. But Gum, he can be, you know, top. He can be number one for a lot of people's, um, you know, a lot of people's sports. And I'm not going to mention the names to watch. I'm going to kind of you know, mixed out with this, an interior defensive line, which I will mention next, the interior defensive line. And now, this is going to have a little pushback, in my opinion, I think. I don't think the number one player is Jordan Davis out of Georgia. We all thought Jordan Davis was the one hit one. Like, we thought he was the main dude uh, in, as an interior defensive lineman. I think it's actually his partner in crime. And Devontae White, I think he is the best pass rusher um, of the interior defensive lineman. They ran a 4-3 and sometimes even a 3-4. Uh, and Devontae at a, at the edge actually did very well. Um, he can get to the quarterback in numerous different ways. He is a bigger set edge. So I kind of put him in into the interior defensive line because I feel like he'll be better suited interiorly. But – Devontae, I think he is the number one guy. Number two, I think, is DeMarvin the, the Leo from Texas A&M. 58 tackles, eight and a half sacks, force fumble, an absolute monster up front in the SEC. If you're getting eight and a half sacks with a really good offensive line conference in the SEC, you've got to be someone to deal with. And DeMarvin had a little bit, you know, we didn't think, we thought he was going to have a really good year, really didn't hit that. So it kind of fell in a lot of boards, but I still think DeMarvin is very talented and can really just knock you back whenever he can. Now my number three is Jordan Davis, and here's the thing. He's a big dude, but he's a run stopper. And, like, if you need a run stopper, your run defense, L.A. Chargers, is really bad, and you need somebody to just plug in the A gap or plug in the B gap, whatever, you get Jordan Davis. And I think Jordan is a very talented young man. I think he is absolutely incredible, uh, very gifted. It's just he's a run-stopper. He's not a pass rusher. So, again, LA Chargers, if you need run-stopping threats, I think Jordan Davis is somewhere you look at. my Number four for me is Travis Jones from UConn. Uh, UConn is now an independent school. It was in the American. Now it's independent. And Travis is a very nice player, 48 tackles, four-and-a-half sacks. Really the only guy to really make any mark uh, defensively for UConn. UConn is just not uh, the most stable uh, program right now, but UConn's still very good in terms of getting interesting players. Um, I forget his last name, but Obi, one of the top young corners uh, who came out last year, came from UConn. And, of course, I think Travis Jones – from UConn could be a day two guy, and he can be a very solid uh, defensive lineman. And my number five, I yeah, to mention Alabama, right? For, for Darian Mathis, I mean, this dude like he's like a triple team. He's kind of like the, he's a bigger version of Aaron Donald, where he triple teamed you. He's sending all three guys back. Uh, very big dude, fifty three tackles, nine sacks. You know, him and Will Anderson are very good at terms of pressuring the quarterback. Uh, Phil Anderson led the league – you know, led the entire SEC in sacks and possibly even all of the NCAA, and still Fedarian uh, got nine sacks. So, Alabama – of course, Alabama knows how to recruit. They get the best players every year. And Fedarian Mathis, I mean, I, like I said, I list him at number five, but does well at the combine. He could honestly be my number one uh, later on down the line. And now in terms of linebackers. Devin Lloyd is my number one guy. Everyone's talking about like the Kobe Dean, Christian Harris, you know, Chad Muma. You know, a lot of people talk about Chad Muma out of Wyoming. But Devin Lloyd, he is a he is the all-in package as a linebacker. He covers very well. He goes after the quarterback really well. He can cause interceptions. He can knock the football out. Devin is the best Linebacker in this class, and I don't think there's going to be much movement. If it is, he's number two at worst. Like honestly, Devin Lloyd, over 100 tackles, eight sacks, forced fumble, fumble recovery, four interceptions. This dude is everywhere, and he was a huge threat against any pack ball offense because Devin Lloyd is right there in your face, and he is going, and he doesn't miss a lot of tackles. I think he's only missed like. A handful of tackles. So if he hits you, you're not going to go away from him. So Devin Lloyd, I think he's the best player in this class. My number two is Nicobe Dean from Georgia. Georgia and Alabama, like Georgia had the number one defense this year. So no wonder a lot of their players are on my rankings right now. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to all these players. But Nicobe Dean, he is my number two from Georgia. 72 tackles, six sacks, two forced fumbles, two interceptions. Absolutely incredible player. Him, Jordan, um, where what was I thinking, 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 uh, Devontae Wyatt all made a difference to make Georgia one of the best defenses we have seen in a very long time. And also in the secondary with Lewis signed, but we will get to that later. But right now I think N'Kobe Dean from Georgia, absolutely monstrous and he can be very good. He, he, he you know, he's a later first round dude. Him and Devin are 1A, 1B, but I think Lloyd is an overall, you know, all round better linebacker, and N'Kobe, his pass coverage is kind of hit and miss, but he's still very good at what he can do and can absolutely possibly steal the show at the NFL Combine uh, this uh, next weekend. Number three for me is a guy he played against, Christian Harris out of Alabama. 79 tackles, five and a half sacks, two four fumbles. I mentioned Will Anderson as one of the best defensive linebackers. He's gonna be he's gonna be a top five pick. He's he's the best linebacker, hands down. Um, you got Bryce Young. Alabama's gonna have possibly two top five players uh, next season. Honestly. You know, and CJ Shroud's gonna be in that mix, but Will Anderson and Bryce Young are gonna be the top two players no matter what next year uh, in the draft in my opinion, unless they just absolutely, like, just disappear somehow. But Christian Harris was still very good for Alabama's defense, five and a half sacks. Like I mentioned, Federi Mathis, incredible defensive lineman, they know how to get to the quarterback. Mick Saban is a defensive-minded coach. He makes his defense top-notch. Georgia had statistically the best season, but, I mean, Alabama, they just got the dudes and – Somehow they're going to make their mark at the NFL Combine. Number four for me is Chad Muma out of Wyoming. Uh, again, kind of a late bloomer. Uh, not a lot of you know a lot of people thought Chad was going to be much. He really just you know bolted out of anywhere, and out of Wyoming again, Mountain West. But still, you you, you go against Carson Strong and made him crap himself. You're, you got to be somewhat of a very good linebacker. So I think Chad, incredible linebacker, great versatility. He's going to be very interesting going into the NFL combine, and he could really raise the stock up a ton. And number five for me, again, there was a lot of talk. Is DeMond, uh the best linebacker? JoJo Domon out of Nebraska. Is he number five? Can he be late first, early day two? You know, possibly midday too. But I think it's going to be Leo Chanel. He was one of the best linebackers in college football all last year. I think he was ranked in PFF second best linebacker only to Will Anderson at number one. But Leo has really just shocked the entire world. Really, the only impressive thing out of Wisconsin's defense was Leo. Very good player, absolutely you know, monstrous, great right at pressuring the quarterback. Leo, it you know, he makes his move on the combine. Watch out for his name being popped up in mock drafts, because I think he can be that explosive. Cornerback, I think this is probably the toughest to really nail to five. But I also do think that this is probably the best position. Cause you can have a I mean again number four could possibly be drafted first, in all honesty. Number one for me, not shock, is Derek Stingley. Um, very, just very versatile dude. Um, only bright spot for LSU this year. LSU was very up and down this year. Uh, missed a bowl. Or actually, no, they made a bowl against Kansas State. I forget if they won or not. Um, but Derek Stingley was really the only impressive thing out of LSU. Their pass defense was pretty decent. Their run defense, not so much. But Derek Singley, the only bright spot for LSU. Number two for me is Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. Uh, didn't allow a single touchdown, even though he started as a true freshman several years ago. Very lockdown dude. You think Alabama would score on him? No, nah, he still handled his business uh, when guarding Jameson Williams when he had to, guarding uh, any other players, Slade. Uh, Slade Burton, I believe his name was. Um, you know, so he – uh swing bolden excuse me so sauce Gardner absolutely shut down he he's gonna get scored on every everybody will it's the like this NFL receiver offense heavy you're gonna get scored on but if you can make that a real low number absolute dominant corner uh wherever he goes trick McDuffie um a lot of people are kind of pushing him you know under the rug not a lot of people are Given Trent his due, but with Sauce Gardner, real shutdown dude didn't allow a ton of touchdowns or big plays uh, when he was in the Pac-12 at Washington. Um, again, like I think he is one of the only bright spots at Washington. It's a it's an up and down program, and he really handled his business uh, when he had to. So very solid corner. Cannot wait to see him in the combine. Khalir Elam uh, from Florida or Elam, excuse me. Um he was at one time the number two corner only behind Derek Stingley. He's kind of digressed a little bit, you know, as Florida did this year, um, you know, going off of last year. But Elam is still a very good quarterback, uh, cornerback, and he's you know, he's not eyes shut down. He, you know, gives up some stupid plays here and there, but at the same time, when he's on, he's on. And if you play a big receiver, big time receiver. You don't really see him when he's uh, covered by Elam. So, you know, he can definitely be, you know, under-radar guy and could possibly steal the show at the combine. Number five for me is Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson. Uh, this is a very good corner class. I think Andrew Booth can definitely steal the show. Um, very locked down, very just tight. Um, you know, man-to-man, you really don't – you really can't get away from him very good man corner uh zone hit and miss but still very good um, Andrews definitely going to be I think an early day two draft pick and also just looking at defensive backs of you know and all um, you know QC Cole is definitely a name Joseph uh, corker is someone you can watch out for um, a lot of nice corners in this Wisconsin and secondary pieces So it's going to be very interesting what happens in the corners and now safeties. Now this I mentioned uh, a while back to the guys, it's Kyle Hamilton. And then it's the rest. Um, I don't think it's not a very good safety class at all. Besides Kyle, Kyle Hamilton, who's a top five pick. Um, I think he is probably the best player in this class. Um, he, you know, he was hurt and got hurt in a minor knee injury uh, late, in, uh, late in this past season. Didn't want to come back and re-injure it. Um, but Kyle Hamilton, the time he did play, very locked down, um, very rangy safety. You can go on one side of the field to the other in a second. Very quick, very explosive, locked down in coverage. Very nice uh, safety, and I definitely think he is probably the best player in the class. But he won't go to the top five, and he will be in the top five, at, at worst, ten. Because, um, again, pass rushers may be more of a need. Offensive line may be more of a need. Carolina could go uh, QB. Uh, a lot of people say Malik Willis or uh, Matt Corral will be in Carolina. We'll see how that goes later on down in the upcoming weeks. But Kyle is the number one safety in this class. And then two to five, it's very, very wild. It's a wild west of getting onto a list. I think number two is Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. Um, again, solid solid safety, a little bit rangy, coverage is pretty good. Um, but I mean he you know has hit and miss days, you know. So you know, as a number two guy, you want to be very solid, very consistent. Not really that guy, and that's why I'm saying two to five, it can be very rangy. Daxon uh, Hill out of Michigan, a lot of people have him at, like, number 10 on their list. And I'm like, why is that? And it's because he just disappeared late in the year. And when you're playing big games, Ohio State, Georgia, you're just – you know, you can't do anything. If you just disappear and nobody knows you're even there – how great can you be in the, uh, in the uh, NFL draft and on an NFL roster? So definitely going to be interesting to see how he does in the combine, if he can raise his stock at all. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be late day two, early day three. So like I said, safety, it's Hamilton, in the field. So uh, if you really need a safety, you got to get a trade package and get up there. Uh, number four is a sign. Again, I, I think he's probably one of the better – uh, Georgia defenders in this class, and um, he, he's very good. Uh, I don't remember if he was the guy with the pick six, but uh, Lewis sign was really nice against Alabama, and um, you know, he, he really shows that he is good at times, but then you know, he's hit and miss kind of like Jackson Hill, kind of disappears not in the biggest games, but still, sometimes you don't know he's even there. And then number five is Brian Cook from Cincinnati. Um, Again, Cincinnati has some really nice talent. um, And it's going to be really sad to see these guys go. And Cincinnati may regress heavily uh, defensively and offensively. Uh, With Sauce gone, Desmond gone, um, I believe there's another Cincinnati running back who could be out the door uh, in terms of drafts. So it's going to be, you know, uh, Jermaine, uh, Jerome Ford, excuse me. Uh, was the running back out uh, of Cincinnati. So that is, you know, he he's a big-time safety. Uh, his real made plays when he really had to. So he's a good, solid safety. It's just coverage ability. What is that like? And then I kind of put this in quotations. So I kind of thought of one of my co-hosts here, and that's Dalton Bishop. Dalton would be one of those guys that would ask me, did you look up kickers, punters, and possible long-steppers, and special teams personnel. Uh, Am I right on that, Dalton? Would you be one of those guys who would ask me about kickers and punters?
1: Yes, if you didn't put it down, yes, I would have asked you about those fine people. Yes, I I am
2: shocked. Uh, And I actually texted our other co-host, Spencer, (laughs) and I actually said, let me actually say it word for word for my boy. Um, So I made a section in my notes titled, for Dalton, which includes the top two kickers and top two punters, if he asks. But I'm not. I'm not gonna wait till he asks him. I actually did them. I did the research. Well, not research, quote unquote. But I did it looking up. And Dalton, here are the top guys for you. If the LA Rams decide to go punter kicker with the first pick. I mean, hey,
0: Matt Gay's a pretty agent, so maybe they will. He Thanks, guys. Thanks.
2: I mean, I, I did this for you, man. I did this for you. So I know you did. Let's start. let's start with punters. Let's start with punters. And the number one guy is Matt Ariza out of San Diego State. Now, again, I didn't do a single other research besides the top guys in the class. So, I don't
0: know how good he is. But kicking and punting. Oh, no. He has some record-breaking, like, long punts. Like, he is... Well, no, I, he had at least a 60-yard punt at one point last year. Oh, that's relevant? like Johnny I think,
2: first, I think the first pick the L.A. Rams should go is go after Matt Areza at San Diego State. That's just me. Uh, Number two is Ryan Stonehouse out of Colorado State. Uh, He is the second-best punter, and he's done, again, pretty well. You know, you don't really say kicker's punter's first-round pick unless you're, what was it, Jacksonville and I think – Las
1: Tim Bay. Bay.
0: Um, Raiders took Janikowski back in 2000, the Brady draft. Yep. And then Roberto Aguayo, who was fantastic at Florida State, went second round. round Tim Bay traded up to awful. get him. It was like awful. He did not. And then,
2: uh, Jacksonville drafted was it Brian Anger? Probably. I thought I thought they drafted uh, one in first round as well. You're well, the kicking
1: I, expert, okay? but We don't know
2: this. I mean, possibly, possibly. <laughs> and Dalton for your kickers, uh, Jordan Stout. Jordan Stout is your uh, number one kicker coming out. So could he be an Evan McPherson for a team? Just lockdown dude. A lot of pressure on these young kickers to be very good after what Evan did uh, in his rookie year. And then number four, how can I not mention a Texas name? Dalton, you love Texas. Everything Mm -hmm. is bigger in Texas. And just like everything is bigger, like Cameron bigger. Out of Texas is the kicker. Dicker the kicker. Oh, I love that name. Out of Texas. Big Dicker, Texas. Uh, Cameron Dicker, your number two uh, kicker in terms of pro football focus. And how can I not mention the long snapper, the only long snapper in this class? So if you're the only one, you have to be number one, right? And that is Cal out of Pittsburgh. So can Kenny Pickett and Kyle Adamatis be drafted on the same day? Can somebody,
0: like the L.A. Rams, get <laughs> Kyle Adamatis This is what L.A. just back in the first round. Would be, awesome.
2: would be awesome. The L.A. Rams would absolutely do that. <laughs> um, And then somehow trade him to get, I don't know, what's a the need that need, running backs? So, could they trade Kyle to get Jonathan Taylor? Who knows for like, a, you know, for eating up chocolate bar, but somehow getting it. The uh, is not
0: a GM anymore.
2: Yeah. Well, well, still at the same time, they can, but here's the thing. The Rams would be able to persuade the other teams to uh, get, trade their best player for oh, Kyle Automatus in a uh, half eaten chocolate bar. But Dalton, I wanted to have a kicker, punter, and long snapper segment. Spencer did text me about um, possible um, – what was it that you – what was he exactly? There was what, like the
0: core the guys, guys, you know, like gunners and whatnot. Like a
2: special team dude. Um, if you're in the combine, like you want to be drafted as, you know, for the most part, an actual receiver. Um, you know, you want to be drafted as the core position that you're at, not for special teams. Um, but look for just long, speedy dudes. Um, you, know, you, you know, sometimes the fastest receiver is the punt kick returner. So, uh, you know, when you look at 40-yard dashes, the fastest receivers who aren't at the top list, look at those guys to be possible, uh, possible special themers. So that's all I have for the combine. And, whew, I'm going to do a whole bunch of research and definitely some research on Cal Automatis.
0: For my boy Dalton. Yeah, go on YouTube, <laughs> look up his uh tape and whatnot. Yep. I will say if we don't if Jake Bailey's like time in New England's almost out, I would be 100 percent for drafting the San Diego State punter in the fifth round.
2: Who knows? Let's see what happens.
0: We've seen crazier stuff is um no. So what do we have? What do you have? do you have anything you want to add?
2: With yeah, me? yeah. I
1: just want to add that the guy that you want, Spencer, is going to be gone. The Rams are going to take him in the third round. So your dreams are crushed.
0: Oh, Hecker's not going to be back next year.
1: I don't know, man. Who knows? Uh, Christian thinks we're going to take all the kickers and punters and the long snapper, just in yeah. case. I, I think, I think the Rams they'll have they'll have good depth on the special teams only, and <laughs> then. Uh, no, <laughs> And then on the offensive line and all the other uh, positions, they're going to have, like, one or two guys.
2: You're going to have your 20 think, starters and then all special teams. That's it.
1: I think I think that that could be the recipe to running it back. Possibly.
2: Um, possibly.
1: Dicker the kicker. Dicker, Dicker the kicker is
2: uh, – So, Dicker the kicker.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, he's going to be something to watch out for. I think somebody could trade up and get, get him in the early rounds. You got to get but, that
2: energy, man. You got to yeah. get that big dicker energy.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yep. <laughs> like these fits.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, sure, my. I, mean, I knew Dalton was going to do it and probably put me on the spot, and I'd be shaking in my boots. Uh, kickers and uh, punters. No, Dalton. Yeah, you got to be i know you. I, I've known you for my entire life. I knew you would do something like this. <laughs> so, I got kickers. I got punters. I got long steppers. I don't have Gunners. I'm so sorry. Just because Gunners are usually the fastest dudes at the combine, so you just watch that. Who aren't big name talents? Those are probably your special teams guys. But other than that, yeah, I got I got everything. So just need to watch film, watch the combine, and see who moves up, who moves down.
0: Yeah, I try looking up, and I definitely agree with you that cornerback is incredibly deep this year. Very
2: deep. That in respect. I mean, even McDuffie's
0: Very. college teammate, Kyler Gordon, could be a sleeper for some Absolutely. teams.
2: Absolutely. It's just like, who are my top <laughs> five dudes? like, I could seriously go, I could can, I can seriously talk about every single corner uh, in this class if I really wanted to. But I wanted to just have five dudes and, you know, uh, the top guys that everybody's going to watch and possibly somebody. You don't really hear a lot. You don't hear out of, you know, Northern Iowa dudes like Trevor Penny. You don't hear you know, guys in low, small schools like Chad Muma out of Wyoming. You don't hear from Travis Jones out of UConn. So getting some fresh, familiar names out there. So if your team does draft them late day one somehow, day two, day three, you'll know who these guys are.
0: You won't be saying who the F is, insert player here, when your team drafts (laughs) these guys.
2: I'm I'm breaking all these guys down, no, you will not.
0: Yeah. Now next week we will have a seven-round mock draft delivered by Christian Ernst. Oh no,
2: no, no! But I will
0: say this: I am going to do
2: my. I did for so. Of course, next week is going to be the combine. So next week we're not going to talk about any draft prospects. But if Spencer will allow, I will talk about each possible division and talk about what their needs are, who could possibly fill in their needs. Uh, later on down the line, and what can they do to possibly get better and possibly make it a, a chance to go to the Super Bowl next season?
0: Hey, where's the first like Cincinnati did? Absolutely. Now, when I say you should ignore your number one knee like Cincinnati did and hope that you can still make a deep run, but to each their own, we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, thanks again guys for listening to another episode. Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap the show up? I mean, personally not real. I'm tired
2: of all of my rankings and breaking down everybody. So I'm good. Yeah.
1: Do yeah. you got anything else? Um Yeah, I, I, I think I think that we should make that into a t shirt. Um who the who the who the F is insert insert here. I should make that into a t-shirt, put it on the front. Um, and then on the back, we'll just have a list of all the draft picks who we didn't know, and then happen to be like really good players. I know it's gonna take a while, but I think that we can really make a good product out of it. So, I'll. uh, Hey,
0: I'm not. I'm not a marketing guy, but I know you have some history with marketing.
1: Yeah, see, I will. I will go ahead and talk to you guys more about this idea. I just came up with it like two minutes ago because I think. Yeah, uh, you guys keep bringing up that joke that I did on draft day, and which, in hindsight, is pretty funny. But, um, but I think that uh, it could be it could be a good success. Uh, and, and, you know, as long as you you know keep it PG. So, um, that's all for now. But you know, I'll keep you guys in the loop. Appreciate it, Dalton. Um, uh,
0: that and Dicker the kicker, those two shirts, which I'm sure that one all, probably already exists.
1: Yes, but, uh, maybe, but you know, whatever.
0: Anyway, thanks again, guys, for listening to another episode about of a of bounce. As always, I'm Spencer Brown. I'm Dalton Bishop. And I'm Christian Ernst. So thanks again for listening, and enjoy the rest of your day.